0: So, good evening everyone. Welcome to our evening Dhamma. Tonight we're looking at Right Livelihood. Path Factor number five. And this completes the morality or the ethics section. So we have Right speech, right action, and now the right livelihood. And it's inter- if you look at right livelihood, it's interesting, it, um, it basically means right speech and right action. If you look at the definition, which is sometimes misleading. And if you look at it, in this case I think it is, because if you look at it, you think, why did the Buddha have to Uh, have to add right livelihood when right livelihood really the definition is refraining from livelihood that involves wrong action and wrong speech so all the kinds of wrong action or at least the, I guess the the, the lying all kinds of wrong action or lying wrong speech if you use if you do that to make a living, that's wrong livelihood, but then you think well, but you know we already you know then if you're if you're keeping right speech and right livelihood, why do we need to mention a right speech and right action? Why do you need to mention right livelihood? But I think it is quite important I think this this belies the fact that. Livelihood is an important part of who we are At its very essence, livelihood means staying alive What do you do to stay alive? And it was a big part of the Buddha's conception of the monastic life And I I don't think this would have been something even unfamiliar to him It, It was something he had to deal with for six years Once he left the palace, it was a question How do you stay alive? because suddenly he didn't have a livelihood and so a big, a big uh, part of spiritual practice at the time was to go without food or to go with a very bare minimum of food under the realization that livelihood is a big deal if you want to stay alive, if you want food you've got to do quite, uh, quite a bit of work to, to get it, even just food and then there's clothing shelter medicine so from the very beginning this was something that that would have weighed on the on the bodhisattva's mind and and of course was something the buddha had to consider when when uh, organizing his community even just living himself So it, it, it actually weighs in quite significantly how we live our lives beyond simply wrong action and wrong speech uh, I mean, uh, on the at the very outset there's the question of what is right livelihood, right? If you don't define it the way the Buddha did there's a question about livelihood and people feel righteous or even guilty about their livelihood potentially for the wrong reasons maybe a person has a dull job uh, that is meaningless pointless and, uh, and they think this is they don't they don't label it this way but they think it's wrong livelihood they think it's wrong because when you you should enjoy your job right you should do something you love and other people do something they love and they think that's right livelihood because it makes them happy And so even just defining livelihood, right livelihood, as having nothing to do with whether you like it or dislike it, but having more to do with is it wholesome or unwholesome, is it involved with wholesomeness or unwholesomeness, is a, is a significant step. And, the, and it clarifies some of the guilt we might feel at being insignificant, you know, I'm just a menial laborer, or maybe I work at McDonald's or something. Maybe I have a job that is very insignificant Or maybe someone is famous, you know People think uh, the greatest livelihood wouldn't, you know To be a famous doctor or scientist Or, you know, someone who changes the world That would be the best sort of livelihood For a monk it would be to be the Dalai Lama That would be the, you know, you're so Such a public figure Who ostensibly does such great good in the world but that's not the measure of right livelihood none of that is really a monk living off in the forest who nobody knows as can have can have perfect livelihood they can also have terrible livelihood they can be killing wild animals for food which would be very bad but so basically Again, this, the part of this path that orients us The part of this factor that orients us Is around the, the right action and right speech So your livelihood is okay it, it's, uh, it's within the boundaries Of what will lead you to the noble path Again, talking about the preliminary path, The cultivation uh, If you keep basically the five precepts you don't kill if you and if your livelihood is not to kill obviously and steal or steal or cheat or lie that's a, a good basis for right livelihood but of course it's not yet right livelihood and any livelihood that involves torturing others manipulating others um, even any livelihood that involves greed or ambition from a meditative point of view is wrong livelihood even at a meditation center if you start requesting special food or um you know if you start if you go out and as a meditator if you go out and to the store and buy food if you worry about food is it delicious does it taste good that kind of thing This you could call wrong livelihood, or in line with wrong livelihood, of course on a much lower level, but what it means is we have this necessity to go and eat, but we're making it complicated. It's becoming a hindrance. Your need to stay alive is getting in the way. And so the question for the Buddha is always, how do you keep this from getting in the way? The need to wear clothing really gets in the way, because of course you have to go out and First you have to make all the money and then you have to go and buy the clothes, choose the clothes. Or maybe if at the very least you have to make clothes, which is a lot of work itself. And then even worse, you start to get attached to the clothes. Maybe you wear beautiful clothes and you you, you become you get this image, this is what the kind of clothes that I wear and this makes me look like this sort of person. Easy to get complicated. What you have to do to stay alive and, Or to, to get the things that you want So the greatest right livelihood of course Is the monastic life From a Buddhist point of view This is why the Buddha created it He envisioned monastic life As the best way to stay alive Without engaging in all the complicated Livelihood related issues so he said, for food, you take whatever people give you, alms. As a spiritual person, it's not easy to find support, to find a community and people who are willing to keep you alive. For robes, for, for clothing, you, you just take rags, scraps of cloth that are discarded and put them together. You know, The kind of equivalent nowadays would be to at the at the least, for a layperson to go to the secondhand clothing store. For a monk, it would be to go to the rejects, secondhand clothing store—the stuff they throw away, they give away for free. Reading something, I'll have to talk about that later. Um, so, I mean, it's not a it's not a matter of having to become a monk to gain right livelihood. But it's important to understand this, to see this as a as a linear progression, right? Of the worst kind of livelihood is where you're doing the most awful things to stay alive uh, or to to make money to. You know, to live a lifestyle that is grotesque and, the, and, and and slowly, slowly simplifying and simplifying our life again thinking about wholesomeness what keeps us and what allows us to continue our life all the way to the, living in a meditation center or monastery where you're in your room and you say hmm, well if I don't go for, for, for food I'm going to have to, I'm going to starve and I'm not going to be able to meditate And considering what is the best way to get that food, the simplest way. You have to consider because if you don't eat the right food or enough food, it'll be hard to meditate as well. So it doesn't mean that you don't ask for food. If there's something missing in our diet here, you have to let us know. Or if you need special food and you're allergic to this type of food, don't just eat it and suffer. But again, these are all issues. It it points out that livelihood is all of us an important part of our path so it's not just about right action and right speech it's about understanding our livelihood and making it staying alive and not, not allowing the necessities of life to get in our way you know, making them the least complicated and the least uh, of a hindrance as possible <laughs> I think that's it that's all I have to say about that. You all can go. You don't have to sit here for the rest of the questions there. In fact, I'd probably encourage you not to because they're often not about meditation and they're mostly things that you've heard before. So, Alexander, you're here how many days? Um, two or three weeks. Three weeks. And you've remind me have you read my booklet? Yes. Have you, we haven't done the online course, have we? No. Okay. So you've been doing meditation according to the booklet? Some. Okay, so maybe we'll have a refresher tomorrow morning. Uh, so you call him after you finish. She will call you after she finishes, and you'll meet me here tomorrow around 8.15. Okay. okay. Everything okay? Yeah. Room is okay? You might want to, I think we'd rather you go in those rooms over there, because that room doesn't have a fire exit. Mm. The window is blocked. Yeah, by the porch. Yeah, so Robin was having some concerns about that, so we'll leave it open till last, and the last person who comes has to stay in it. Okay, so I should move to one um, of the back rooms? Probably better. Okay. It's not like it's dangerous. In fact, the owner told me that, he pointed out specifically, that the window across the hall is the fire exit, so. Just don't light fires. No, there's many ways fires can start, right? Find out where the fire extinguishers are. Everyone should know where the fire extinguisher downstairs is. Do you know where the fire extinguisher is downstairs? Yeah, so everyone should know where it is. I should tell people when they come in, just in case. Happened, it happens. We have karma, sometimes karma catches up with you. Very strange in meditation centers, strange things happen. Because we're working out our karma, so sometimes it can come at you quite quickly. Not to scare you or anything. Okay, have a good night. The first noble truth is still true with regards to sankhara, even for someone who has eliminated craving. Um, Well, I'm not going to go into stack exchange, not not right now, but... Um, so again, we're, the First Noble Truth doesn't mean they are suffering It means they are dukkha And dukkha means that which is not uh, able to cause happiness That which is bad and They are useless, meaningless, just no good And for enlightened being that's true as well They are still no good, they are still um, not sukha they are not something that causes happiness. It's not that they are suffering in, this, in, in that sense. So it's important to understand the first noble truth. Or it's important to understand suffering, the concept of suffering, or dukkha. That it doesn't in every way mean um, painful, stressful. Um, but in a sense they are uh, inferior... Um, in a sense they are stressful, even though they don't cause stress, because they are incessant, the arising and ceasing. They are relentless. So they are they are no good. We think of arising this arising and ceasing as good, you know. This is a wonderful world to live in, but it's not. And an enlightened being realizes that. But you know, the nature of them is this incessant arising and that's why they're called dukkha. Maybe later, if you give me that link later, I can go to Stack Exchange and look at it. Is it important to be mindful of involuntary actions such as coughing or twitching? Well, you—that's no, that's not action. Uh, Right action has all to do with your intentions. I mean, that's what I said yesterday. So, in reference to yesterday's talk, no, that has nothing to do with it. Like, suppose you're sitting with a knife in your hand and you twitch and you kill someone. Well, you shouldn't have had the knife in your hand probably But you're not guilty of murder So right action has nothing to do with the action I mean, I, I, I thought I made that fairly clear last night But maybe not Is there a difference between being wise and having wisdom? Well, there's no such thing as a being The being, anything is not real Um, But there's no such thing as possessing either So it's not being or having It's about wisdom arising But conceptually we say both We say one has wisdom Panyava Or one is wise I don't know how you'd say that Nipako is a way of saying it How can I see this text and sutta of the Pali that you are using during broadcast? I would like to look these up for further study, but I can't always make out the exact words you're using. Well, I don't post them. I mean, I'm taking a lot of this from memory and I'm reading from various sources. Um, now, there's not one source that I read from. Um, I mean, maybe eventually, once we get back to a good platform, I can have screencasting. There's this, this app studio thing that allows you to do that, to show your screen, so I may be able to do that, but it probably wouldn't be great anyway, because YouTube quality is not great. Um, you can, you know, if you want to email me and with some, hey, you said this, where can I find that? Those kind of emails I'm happy to answer, although I'm very bad at answering emails. Hopefully, hopefully I'll get back to you on it. Too many emails. If in my room is a spider or insect, I should try to get them through the window to freedom or just leave them alone and ignore them when a mosquito settles on my screen, for example. Hmm yeah I mean you're not responsible for the acts of others this is all about your intentions but I would say it's compassionate to think of their well-being and so letting them out but that's a totally optional I mean I think if a bird is fluttering around in your house you probably do the compassionate thing to to let it out because that's a significant thing you can do but insects you know it's really they're just going to come back in anyway, more of them are going to come in, so... I generally let them out. I generally, like if there's flies in here, I'll try and find a way to let it outside. I think it's a compassionate thing to do, it's a good thing to do. It's not something you should obsess over, and certainly something not something you should worry about. It's um, sort of an optional, you know, do what you can, but getting a fly out of the house is not an easy task. I remember once um, when I was doing tree planting. This was after I'd started meditating, and I went up north to do tree planting. And if you know anything about North, North Canada in the summer? Which most people don't, but I'll tell you. The mosquitoes up there, um, they said they were, jo- I don't know if it was a joke or not, but I believe it, that the mosquitoes were chasing away the bears. Uh, and like it really is clouds of mosquitoes when you get up in the north and it's quite remarkable so I had a I was thinking, you know, how am I I was reading about this I was thinking, how am I going to do this without killing them, right? I mean, I wouldn't kill them but how am I going to do this without getting eaten alive, I guess and I read about the various um, the only the only uh, repellent that really works is deet, which is really bad for you so I thought, well, am I'm going to use deet every day and enough to keep these Apparently it leads to sleep loss and hallucinations and all sorts of bad things. So instead I had this full body mosquito net. Anyway that's not the point. Um, One night I got out of my tent to go to use the the tree and I'd forgot to close the door. When I got back uh, the, uh, the tent was full of mosquitoes. There were like at least 20 mosquitoes, probably more, in my tent. And so I spent the next hour with this little cup getting the mosquitoes out one by one by one and using a flashlight to find them and getting them out without killing them. I mean, that was probably more for my sake than theirs. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think uh, point it's it's optional. It's something that's good to do. But it's certainly not killing them if you don't do it. My email address is yuttadammo at gmail.com but don't broadcast that on the internet because then lots of people are going to email me. Okay, that's all the questions tonight. Please don't email me with with questions like tonight. Um, I I tend to respond better to technical questions because they're easy to answer but I'm using my phone a lot for email. So, I'm not going to answer questions like tonight's questions. Many people email me with questions about their practice and so on, and I'm sorry, but I just don't answer them. It's too many, and I don't really, you know, I have to be on the computer, and it's just not the way I want to live my life, I'm sorry to say. So, thank you all for coming tonight. Have